focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our usual Tuesday reporters, Kwon Soa and Che Ji Hee. Guys, welcome back. Hi, guys. Good evening. Welcome back to the program here. We're going to start things off with President Yoon Sang-kyo on his uh, state visit to the United Arab Emirates, again, uh, being the first South Korean leader uh, to take part in the Uh, state visit to the Middle Eastern country there. Uh, The presidential office announced that the leaders of South Korea and the UAE adopted a joint summit statement, this containing the UAE's commitment to investing over $30 billion uh, in South Korea. And this is also separate from the dozens of MOUs uh, they've signed to expand cooperation in various fields. Uh, Ji, you're going to start us off. Uh, Let's get the details of this. Right. So President Yoon Sagar and UAE President Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nayan signed a joint statement after their summit in which the UAE decided to, like you said, invest 30 billion U.S. dollars in South Korea's industries as the two countries seek to further strengthen and develop their special strategic partnership. Now, the four key areas the two sides agreed to expand cooperation include conventional and clean energy, peaceful nuclear energy, uh, economy and investment, defense, and related technology as well. So they also agreed to improve cooperation in common interest areas such as space, new industries, and culture. And the joint statement specifies that as part of the wider special strategic partnership framework between the two states, the UAE announced that its sovereign wealth funds have committed to investing in strategic sectors in South Korea. And President Yoon's office quoted the UAE president as saying, we have decided on a $30 billion investment based on the trust in South Korea, which keeps promises under any circumstances. Now, although the details of the investment plan were not shared immediately, uh, Yoon's press secretary Kim eun said in a statement that the investment will be directed at nuclear power, uh, defense, even hydrogen and solar energy industries, among others. And the two leaders also witnessed the signing of 13 MOUs on Monday, and the two sides were expected to sign some 40 more during Yoon's state visit. And other areas of cooperation include building peace and stability in the Middle East, the Korean Peninsula, and in the multilateral sector. And in regard to the issue on the Korean Peninsula, uh, the two leaders condemned North Korea's record number of ballistic missile launches last year, and they reaffirmed their common goal of achieving complete denuclearization and emphasized the importance of diplomatic efforts in bringing North Korea back to dialogue. And along with all this, President and Yoon offered his invitation to President Mohammed as well to South Korea. Certainly a, an incredible achievement here uh, with all the agreements in place. Also, it is uh, quite interesting that uh, President Yoon uh, did raise uh, the issue of denuclearization on the Korean Peninsula. I do remember him saying that uh, the situation with the UAE and Iran, uh, very similar to that of uh, South Korea and uh, North Korea as well. But uh, going back into the economic side here, as, as uh, President Yoon, of course, has been emphasizing the economic diplomacy uh, during his state visit to the UAE, we know around 100 billion business people traveling with the president this time. Uh, there was, again, a number of, let's, let's just say let's, there was billions of reasons for that. Uh, so uh, you're going to tell us about the dozens of business agreements made in Abu Dhabi on, on, on uh, Monday local time here. 
Right, 7.5 trillion won or 6.1 billion U.S. dollars worth of business deals were sealed on the occasion of President Yoon's trip to the UAE. And those were in the fields of energy, defense and new industrial projects. According to South Korea's Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy, two dozens of agreements were made during the Korea-UAE Business Forum on Monday, which was hosted by the Korea International Trade Association and Abu Dhabi Chamber. And in specific, it's actually 23 MOUs and one contract. The forum was attended by 320 attendees from both countries, including government officials and top executives that are traveling with President Yoon, like Samsung Electronics Executive Chairman Lee Jae-yong, SK Group Chairman Choi Tae-won, and Hyundai Motor Group Chairman Jung Hyun-sun. Uh, Hyosung Chairman Cho Hyun-jun was included as well. So let's get into the details of the agreements. In the energy sector, we have Samsung CNT or Samsung Bulsan, which agreed to two MOUs, uh, one with UAE's Mazdar for hydrogen and renewable projects, projects that is, and one with Abu Dhabi National Energy for gas and power transmission system businesses and gas development projects. And then in hydrogen, so still related to energy, uh, Korea National Oil Corporation and Abu Dhabi National Oil Company uh, agreed on a partnership on joint production of clean hydrogen and ammonia production. In the bio sector, Korea's pharmaceutical company Meditox and Dubai Science Park are going to establish a bioproducts factory. Then on the travel platform, uh, you guys probably have heard of the Yanulza platform in Korea, mm-hmm. which is a very uh, famous for... Uh, can, um, can you sing it for re- us? Reserving... Oh, <laughs> Yanulza? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just thinking of the melody. Anyway, uh, and this travel platform signed MOUs with WeGo and AI Rice, respectively, on tourism cooperation. In the arms industry, Korea's machinery parts maker K-Tech and UAE's firearms company Karakal have also agreed on an MOU. I mean, uh, you probably are all familiar with most of the Korean names that I'm yeah, yeah. saying right now, but not those in the UAE. But I think uh, it's uh, worth mentioning mm-hmm. them uh, on this occasion. And uh, more of them were Hyundai Heavy Industries and Abu Dhabi Shipbuilding, as well as LIG Next One and Tawazun Technology Innovation, which clinched MOUs as well. Uh, and uh, some other um, sectors that we're looking at are smart farm construction projects as well as cloud service. So Seoul's trade ministry highlighted that uh, these agreements uh, will create a chance to diversify and advance the cooperation between the two nations. As usually, the traditional fields of cooperation were in the fields of energy and defense, but now we're seeing all of these emerging industries like hydrogen, bio, digital transition, and even metaverse uh, that these two are cooperating. And so that's... uh, definitely going to you know uh, be a step forward in the two the ties between the two countries yeah and you know what I mentioned this before on the program uh, throughout the time that we're talking about all the business leaders uh, heading over to uh, the UAE uh, there's a number a large number of businesses to be one and uh, you know right now in the Middle East uh, we mentioned uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, them creating that uh, the, the mega city of uh, Neom right yeah. uh, all the they're looking for a lot of these like new technologies 
It's all the you know new energy sources, uh, new technology, uh, and uh, who has who's kind of on the uh, you know forefront of all this is South Korean tech companies, mm-hmm. and so it's not uh, it's not surprising that all these companies are on this visit alongside uh, President Yoon Sagyar. But what's also interesting, it's not it's not just the major conglomerates, right? You also have kind of the, the mid-sized companies and you have the smaller size uh, companies. Like, for example, you know, Yanorja is a very popular uh, travel platform, but you wouldn't say that they're on the same platform, uh, same scale as, let's say, Samsung Electronics, for instance. But still, uh, there are many businesses to be won by these South Korean firms. And this obviously is an incredible achievement uh, for these South Korean uh, businesses there. Now, during his state visit to the UAE, President Yoon Sung-gyar also visited the Baraka nuclear power plant in Abu Dhabi on Monday. This is, of course, South Korea's first overseas nuclear power plant uh, project. Talks on further investments have been discussed uh, in ways to expand their cooperation on additional nuclear power plants in the UAE and even joint expansions overseas as well. So, Chi, let's get the details of this. Right. So, President Yoon and President Mohammed toured the four units of the Baraka nuclear power plant, and units one and two are already in operation. And they celebrated the commencement of operations of unit three and also checked the progress of the construction of Unit 4, which is due for completion next year. Now, when all four units are in operation, the plant will supply up to a whopping 25% of the UAE's power needs. Uh, This power plant actually is a project uh, that carries a large symbolic meaning as a representation of the special uh, strategic partnership between South Korea and the UAE because it was won by South Korea back in 2009 and is also uh, the first civilian nuclear power plant in the Middle East. So in his commemorative remarks at the completion ceremony of Unit 3, President Yoon said, based on the success of Baraka, South Korea and the UAE should join forces to produce greater achievements, such as through cooperation on additional nuclear power plants in the UAE and also joint expansion overseas. Uh, Yoon also expressed gratitude for the efforts of all the workers from both countries and other nations on site and added that he's extremely proud of them as they complete another unit uh, to strengthen the UAE's clean energy portfolio and also set a global standard in nuclear power plant projects. And also business executives from major conglomerates involved in the Baraka project, including Samsung Electronics uh, Executive Chairman Lee Jae-yong and Hyundai Motor Group Chairman Jung Hee-san also attended the ceremony. And Yoon said he hoped his state visit will serve as, uh, quote-unquote, a watershed for our comprehensive and strategic energy partnership that extends beyond nuclear power to areas including other energy sectors such as hydrogen and the renewable energy energy sources. Uh, And the UAE president also said the partnership has brought significant benefits to both countries and has enabled opportunities for cooperation in many key sectors, of course, including nuclear energy. And as we know, President Yoon has been stressing that his administration is moving away from former President Moon Jae-in's nuclear phase-out policy and restoring momentum to its nuclear power exports. I think a lot of people agree that uh, so far, I mean, uh, we are still relatively uh, early into President Yoon Sagar's uh, administration, his presidency so far. He was, of course, uh, you know, 
put into the office uh, last uh, May, so less than a year right now, and we've had uh, a number of uh, state visits here and there. Um, I think uh, his presidency started off with kind of a, a poor uh, state visit. Uh, well, not yeah, state visit over to the United States, and now it's improving. And a lot of people agree that this is by far uh, his biggest accomplishment so far. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing here is, we're going to go back to a remark uh, that uh, President Yoon Suk Yeol actually made uh, when he was visiting uh, the South Korean troops at the uh, the, the AK unit, right? And then I did briefly mention uh, this statement here. Uh, there was a lot of questions as to how Iran would actually respond to this. Uh, mentioned how uh, the UAE and South Korea are sort of on the same situation as uh, the UAE and Iran are sort of at odds, uh, same way as uh, South and North Korea right now. Uh, but South Korea's uh, foreign ministry tried to alleviate the diplomatic concerns surrounding uh, Seoul and Tehran, which, by the way, they are still, uh, there are some sour tensions, uh, sour relations between the two over the uh, frozen assets that uh, Tehran has been requesting to South Korea is unable to uh, give back, which has absolutely nothing to do with South Korea's lack of willingness to give back the funds here. But uh, let's talk about this remarks uh, made by uh, President Yoon suk during that visit to the AK unit and uh, what the South Korean foreign ministry's response was. Uh, so you have more on this. Yes, uh, SJ, you actually summed it up <laughs> really well already. But let's start with the remark by President Yoon itself. I don't know if you guys talked about this uh, before. Because did, the yeah. remark came actually on Sunday and uh, he said... The UAE's enemy and biggest threat is Iran, while our enemy is North Korea. We are in a very similar position to the UAE. So, of course, we have to look at the context of uh, the statement. President Yoon was visiting South Korean troops of a military unit in the UAE on Sunday, where he encouraged the personnel and highlighted the security of the UAE is South Korea security, referring to the UAE as our brother nation. Ak actually means brother in Arabic. So what Seoul's foreign ministry said in regards to the enemy remark, it was aimed at encouraging soldiers to do their best to carry out their duties in the UAE. So in a text message sent to reporters this Tuesday, the ministry stressed that President Yoon's comments have nothing to do with relations between South Korea and Iran, hoping there won't be any unnecessary expanded interpretations. The ministry added that South Korea has had a long friendship with Iran since diplomatic ties were established in 1962 and that the South Korean government's commitment in continuing these relations with Iran remains firm. Uh, Iranian media said that uh, in one report that I saw, they wrote, the president of South Korea says the enemy of the United Arab Emirates and its biggest threat is Iran, while South Korea's enemy is North Korea. Well, that's what Yoon said. And then they added, it seems that this is the first time South Korea calls the Islamic Republic the enemy and the biggest threat to the security of the UAE. So I think that is what they are focusing on. There was no other leader before who had been actually mentioning uh, this before, uh, a South Korean um, uh, leader, that is. Mm -hmm. While there are other cases where 
uh, leaders of other countries did actually refer to this specific uh, statement that the UAE and uh, Iran are the biggest enemies. Now, Iranian media noted, uh, though, that relations between Seoul and Tehran were usually considered to be normal and far from tension, except for the issue of some $7 billion frozen in Korean banks on the back of U.S. sanctions. And the same was noted by Korean media as well. Yeah, again, but I've mentioned this so many times on the show, but it's not like South Korea is trying to swallow that $7 billion frozen in Korean banks and go, uh, we don't want to give you this money and uh, we're never going to give you this money. It's because of the U.S. sanctions. And as we've learned uh, for a really long time, that there are many things that South Korea cannot do unilaterally without the permission of the United States. That's just Mm -hmm. the way it is. Uh, And so uh, they were basically saying they were trying to work on this issue in ways to kind of pay back these $7 billion that's frozen in uh, in Korean banks, uh, but that's not the thing. And again, and I think uh, on the outside, it does seem like President Yoon Sagar was referring to Iran as an enemy but I think it was, again, it's clear and cut. If you read it slowly one more time, it, it just basically clearly said, said it's, it's the UAE's enemy. It never really said it's South Korea's enemy because it's the UAE's enemy. Uh, Nuruddin, who's chiming in our live YouTube streaming, why are you doing, man, still not sleeping here. Uh, this may be good for South Korea financially, but is it wise to assist nations who finance uh, ISIS and ISIL with nuclear technology? Uh, from what I understand, the UAE... Uh, is part of that uh, coalition with the United States in, in trying to fight ISIS and ISIL. And that's that's what I know, uh, unless there's some other things that I'm not, I don't really know about. I mean, uh, at least the official government. Yeah, people, right, right, yeah. right, exactly, official government. And, you know, what other people do within the country, I mean, that's the other thing, right? And I think a lot of people might be saying the same thing with about Saudi Arabia as well. As uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, some people within the country has been known to kind of uh, fund terrorists and, and, and things like that. But uh, good point there. Uh, let's move on here, uh, talk about uh, President Yoon Sagar, of course, uh, wrapping up his first state visit to the UAE. Uh, he's going to be heading to Switzerland today, attend the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, or as we call for short, uh, the Davos Forum. Uh, this will be Yoon's debut at the annual forum here. Gee, let's get the details of this. Sure. So President Yoon, according to the presidential office, attended this future vision forum in Dubai on Tuesday morning, where he expressed uh, South Korea's commitment and willingness to make contributions to science, technology, and international alliances. So this was his last schedule uh, of the state visit to UAE, and Yoon traveled to Switzerland to attend the World Economic Forum in Davos, set for Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, And this will be the first time in nine years for a South Korean president to attend this forum. Uh, Yoon will meet with CEOs of major global companies on the sidelines of the forum to promote investment in South Korea, and a meeting will be held on the 18th to discuss investment cooperation with top global CEOs. And then uh, the president will also deliver a special address at the forum on Thursday on the 18th, presenting ideas for international cooperation and solidarity in strengthening supply chains, uh, the transition to clean energy, and the construction of a digital order while also outlining the role and commitment of achieving these goals uh, of Korea can play in achieving these goals. And Yoon will also meet with some scholars in Zurich and uh, return to Seoul on 
on the 21st. And Soa will actually tell us more about this topic, but this will be the 53rd round of this annual forum. Uh, and it's the first in-person forum after the COVID-19 outbreak. I also like how uh, Soa pronounces Zurich. How, how, do, you, how do you pronounce Zurich uh, <laughs> the, the German way? Oh, it's Zurich. So yeah, go. actually, I saw how Tihi had in parentheses how to to pronounce it, but it's the the I would say the international way to pronounce it. That's how Soa pronounced it last time, and I was caught off guard. There, there she goes again. Speaking of the Davos Forum, while President Yoon embarks on the the Swiss town of Davos. Uh, the forum has opened up officially, uh, this on Monday local time. Uh, the interesting thing about this is although uh, this is sort of like the, the first uh, normal uh, Davos forum since the pandemic began almost uh, three years ago, uh, you have some of the key world leaders that's not going to be there uh, until that Tuesday or Wednesday, even uh, some of the world leaders not even taking part uh, mm-hmm. in the entire uh, forum as well. So uh, first and foremost, uh, let, let's go into the first day of the Davos forum and how the event came Kicked off and uh, kicked off, and uh, let's talk about some of the highlights that we can expect. Right. So the 2023 World Economic Forum started with a reception event and the Crystal Award ceremony uh, with the founder and executive chairman of the WEF, Klaus Schwab, greeting the guests for what is the 53rd forum of its kind, as she mentioned. And the theme this year is cooperation in a fragmented world. And uh, the event lasts until the 20th, with more than 2,700 leaders from 130 countries, including around 50 heads of state or governments. And uh, Schwab, in, its open, in his opening remarks, said, quote, we couldn't meet at a more challenging time. We are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. And uh, then he mentioned how, why, uh, why the topic itself is cooperation in a fragmented world, because there's increased fragmentation on a global as well as national level, he said, and uh, more cooperation needs to be reinforced between governments and business sectors so that we can, that this can all lead to a durable recovery of all of these crises. And pressing issues like Russia's war in Ukraine, climate change and global inflation are going to be addressed. While there are multiple global crises that have to be spoken about, there are doubts on that discussions will lead to tangible solutions. And one of the reasons being many key figures are not even attending the event, uh, for instance, the leaders of the U.S. and China. Uh, uh, but uh, they will have, uh, in terms of uh, the U.S., uh, this is special presidential envoy for climate, John Kerry, will be there. And uh, from China, we'll have a vice premier, Liu Ha. Uh, so who will be there for, uh, apart from President Yoon Seok-yeol, as he mentioned, who is actually also the first South Korean president attending the event since 2014. Uh, we'll also have European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and then German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Also, the European Parliament President, South Africa's President, Spain's Prime Minister and uh, the President of Swiss, uh, Switzerland and also uh, Prime Minister of Finland. So there are going to be uh, a number 
of um, top leaders. But right. I also want to mention uh, the Davos Forum does not, it's, it's not a place where all the presidents or prime ministers, no, the top no, no, leaders no. go to. Because I remember back in 2016, I was uh, in Davos when I was a full-time reporter at Arirang. And back then we had uh, Choi Kyung-hwan from South Korea attend. So he was the uh, the economy minister. or finance minister, yeah. if I remember. So uh, it is quite significant that President Yoon so is at the event this time around. Now, in the spotlight uh, will be the Ukraine crisis at uh, this year's forum. It's expected to be at center stage, and that's why Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will have a live video interview. His wife, Olena Zelenska, is in Davos. She arrived there, and she will hold a speech on Tuesday, the day before him, to garner support from world leaders. And uh, again, President Yoon's speech will come on Thursday, and uh, according to South Korea's National Security Advisor, he is to present a path for inter- international cooperation and global solidarity for strengthening supply chains, uh, transitioning to clean energy and realizing a digital order and also emphasize South Korea's intention to play a leading role in the international community. Patrick Pierzer, who's chiming in live from Germany, says, don't forget the World Economic Forum is just a lobby organization, not an official political organization. That's right, which is why uh, the world leaders are not obligated uh, to take part in this event. Uh, But the big concern amongst the watchers was that when you have the two biggest Uh, The leaders of the two biggest economies in the United States and China uh, not taking part. And, uh, you know, we talked about the, uh, what is it, the theme cooperation in a fragmented world. Uh, The the consensus is this trade war that's been going on for years between the United States and China has led to this fragmented world over the past few uh, years. And so to not have uh, the two leaders of these two countries that probably caused the the most fragmentation Mm -hmm. Uh, globally is a bit of a concern. But again, Patrick, you're right. It's not an official political organization. They're not obligated uh, to take part in this. But considering the economic situation globally right now, I think um, the consensus is I know there's a lot of people that don't like the Davos Forum. There's a lot of people who uh, we're going to talk about the protesters. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are people who say, I mean, this is a meeting that, you know, comes back with nothing really tangible, no tangible results uh, and things like that. But I think the first step is always uh, holding these discussions uh, in order to kind of, again, cooperation in a fragmented world. You want the leaders to come together and discuss some of these issues. And unfortunately, uh, Joe Biden and Xi Jinping, uh, they're not taking part in this. Uh, but we're going to talk about about the uh, the protest because this happens all the time. Every time the Davos forums happen, uh, you have hundreds of activists uh, who come and uh, they're, what's what is it? They the strike the strike WEF. Uh, this is the World Economic Forum, right? Uh, protest that happens on the opening day of the annual meeting. Uh, this is. Uh, the demonstrators calling out the uh, the leaders for hypocrisy. You had a social media campaign being launched by climate activists demanding that energy company CEO stop blocking the clean energy transition is what they're saying. The Swiss government, uh, obviously, for... Uh, all the right reasons, had taken tight security measures throughout Davos to protect the visitors from any abrupt emergencies. And I know they've been, some of these protesters are basically, uh, they're on their loudspeakers mm-hmm. and they're trying to do all they can to 
disturb uh, the speeches being made. Right. Uh, but let's talk more about the uh, protest here. Ji, you have more on this. Right. So we've seen demonstrators uh, marching through with banners and signs, some of them reading World Economic Failure instead of Forum uh, and Climate Justice Now. And they had signs reading uh, Tax the Rich. And the activists explain that they want to protest against this annual forum because a lot, a lot of today's crises are human-made, and the forum itself worsened damage to the environment. And they even held up signs of sarcastic phrases such as the World Neo-Colonial Forum as well. And according to Strike WEF, uh, the protest is a march against the climate crisis and against the increasing injustice in the world. And the signs with tax the rich comes from uh, come from Oxfam's new measures to tax the world's super rich. In fact, Oxfam uh, released recent research showing that since the COVID-19 pandemics started in 2020, the richest 1% grabbed nearly two-thirds of all new wealth, which is almost twice as much money as the bottom 99% of the world's population. And protesters even blocked a number of private jets from landing at the Davos uh, airport as over 1,000 jets are expected to bring the rich and powerful to the meeting. And anti-Davos activists criticize them for elitism and hypocrisy due to flying in private jets because they cause significant carbon emissions and they're flying in with them to discuss climate change. Uh, and authorities typically tightly restrict the location and attendance of demonstrations, and the Swiss federal government tightened, tightened its security measures for the in-person event this year. And it's known to spend some 32 million Swiss francs on security and defense expenses as further uh, demonstrations are likely to happen throughout this event. Uh. Mm -hmm. Patrick Pierger says, has anybody of the climate protests be glued to the Hotel Bilderberger? Uh, the Bilderberger gathering is a completely different kind of uh, meeting amongst the elite. And I think I know what you're trying to, uh, the point that you want to make here. Yeah, but again, I mean, the, the hypocrisy is what they're trying to point out right now. And I think even amongst these celebrities, right, I think uh, Idris uh, Alba uh, was uh, getting an award for his uh his all the things that he's done for like the environment and things like that and a lot of people are questioning well idris uh how did you fly into davos by any chance uh was it a, a private jet by any chance and so uh, you know I, there's going to be a lot of people uh protesting although uh the bilderberger i believe there were <laughs> patrick if i'm going to continue uh, this discussion which is a very interesting thing with the, the bilderberger uh, meal uh meeting that uh, happens uh, i think annually here I think someone did try to sneak in or something like that. Someone protested and something, uh, that person almost got killed. Let's just put it at that. That's mm -hmm. The Bilderberg uh, meeting is like amongst like the, the richest people in the world come together uh, and uh, hold these meetings and stuff like that, which, uh, yes, that's, there's also going to be protesters in regards to this. Uh, guys, let's move on to uh, some COVID-19 issues here. Um, infection numbers have been, thankfully, uh, been on a decline recently. The government and experts are mulling over the gradual lifting of the indoor mask mandate. Uh, discussions have started again on this Tuesday. So uh, our 
resident COVID expert. Uh, what can we expect here? Well, health authorities and experts discussed the issue this Tuesday, and uh, we just heard a little while ago that the actual decision is likely to be made on the 20th, so three days from now. And that's just a day ahead of the Lunar New Year holidays. So uh, now there there were some um, criteria that have to be met before they can gradually lift the indoor mask mandates. And those were a stable number of new daily cases, a decline in the number of critically ill patients and fatalities, stable medical capabilities such as ICU beds and vaccination rates of at least 50% among the elderly. Elderly, uh, and at least 60% among vulnerable people, such as those at nursing homes. And uh, authorities are saying that currently we have almost met all of these criteria, except when it comes to the vaccination rates. And I think that is because uh, many people had been vaccinated, but then uh, so much time has passed that now the actual uh, immunity, we don't have that immunity anymore among Mm -hmm. all of the people. So so we almost are meeting the criteria. But the thing is, uh, we are just ahead of the Lunar New Year holidays that begin on the 21st with the 22nd being the actual Lunar New Year, New Year Day. So this is why the government is going to make, I guess, a few more discussions and then make the final announcement on the 20th, whether we can start lifting the indoor mask mandates. But that's probably not going to be at public transportation or uh, very uh, crowded places, but uh, maybe just a number of places. And it's. I think it might come after the lunar holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I was yeah. going to say. That's very likely. Yeah. Uh, so let's do take a quick look at the latest figures. Uh, we have come down to around 40,000 infections on a daily basis. And also compared to last week on Tuesday, infections have dropped to around just uh, half of the amount we saw last week because we had some 80,000 cases a week ago. Uh, and then in terms of infections from... From abroad, uh, in the past day, 95 cases were overseas cases with 57 of those uh, from China. So that's some 60 percent. Uh, 30 people have lost their lives in the past day due to COVID-19. And uh, we've got around 500 people in severe or critical condition. Yeah, I think the numbers, although it is on a decline here, it's still relatively high. And I think, so. you made a good point. I think the, the, the right thing to do would be lifted after the Lunar New Year holiday. When you have a lot of people coming in, gathering and things like that, uh, you want to minimize as much uh, infection paths as possible. Uh, but uh, it's... It's it's going to be interesting because also Friday, what's Friday? That's the 20th, right? 20th is going to mark exactly three years uh, since oh, the very first uh, COVID-19 infection was reported here in mm. South Korea, right? And to, so I think it's going to be, I'm getting chills right now, mm-hmm. uh, symbolic to make sort of at least the announcement, not to lift the indoor mask mandates, but at least make an announcement on removing the very last uh, COVID-19 measure in place on Mm. the 20th, landing on the 30th. But come a really long way. Uh, But I think it's it's, it's not done yet, to Mm. be honest with you. Also, uh, we are keeping a close eye on what's going on over in China. Uh, The Chinese government, uh, they're they're giving out interesting figures here. Now they're they're saying that uh, some 60,000 people died of COVID-19 in hospitals uh, within the past month since they lifted the zero COVID uh, policy here. And uh, this is also kind of the first time the government revealed the exact death toll caused by Mm -hmm. COVID-19. The WHO did 
welcome uh, China's transparency in sharing the pandemic situation within the country. But there are still people who are kind of skeptical, right? Uh, they're still saying that, well, you know, the, the numbers might be a little bit underreported, even with 60,000 here. But uh, Chi, let's get more on this. Sure. So at a press conference held in Beijing over the weekend, a medical official from China's National Health Commission announced that close to 60,000 people have died of COVID-19 in China since the country abandoned its tight zero COVID policy in early December. And the number is an accumulation between December 8th and January 12th. And of those deaths, around 5,500 came from respiratory failure caused by COVID infections. And some 54,000 were people with underlying diseases uh, such as cancer and cardiovascular diseases. And while international health experts have, in fact, predicted at least one million COVID-related deaths in China this year, uh, China had previously reported just over 5,000 deaths since the pandemic began, uh, which is one of the lowest death rates in the world. Mm -hmm. And the World Health Organization said this week that China was heavily under-reporting deaths from COVID-19, although it was now providing more information on its outbreak. Uh, And in the same week, the WHO requested Chinese authorities to share detailed data, such as the recent announcement, uh, continuously moving forward. At the same time, the health organization warned that China's great Lunar New Year holiday migration might lead to COVID explosions across the country, which is already experiencing a huge resurgence. Yeah, basically, China was saying that like four or five people were dying on a daily basis because of COVID-19. And then they had like long lines and funerals and all these uh, body bags uh, coming out from these hospitals. The numbers just did not match here. Uh, but even still right now, I think that China's... Uh, excuse for that, I think they said, was like, unless the person died from respiratory illnesses due to COVID-19, they did not consider all the other deaths. Mm. COVID-19 deaths Mm. was their excuse, but still, uh, it's still COVID-19 related. Uh, Very quickly, speaking of China ending and ending with uh, China here, economic data revealing on Tuesday that the country's GDP grew by 3% last year in 2022. So how is this figure being assessed? Because I don't think this is something that they could fudge here. Yeah, uh, an economic growth of 3% in China. That's the second slowest rate in almost half a century. And uh, the figures released on Tuesday, uh, it's it's not... It's, it's bad, yeah. one of the worst performance in modern history, but it's not as bad as was expected. Considering because, the zero COVID Yes, policy, there were yeah. uh, predictions of 2.8% by Reuters, for instance. Uh, and it is a huge gap from China's earlier target of 5.5% back in March. Uh, so you might ask why the big gap? It's because in 2021, China's economy rebounded by 8.4% from 2.2% in 2020. So we've got a lot of ups and downs attributed to the COVID breakout and then the policies, the zero uh, tolerance uh, policy, and then again, uh, ending the policies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is why officials say that the 3% growth is relatively fast. Uh, But uh, we'll have to wait and see because uh, now we're seeing the surge in infection. So although they opened up the economy, uh, an infection surge is probably not really uh, doing good to the country as well. So, yeah, that's the update. Yeah, again, I mean, uh, a lot of people had warned China that uh, their zero COVID policy is actually going to do poorly. They're just going to, they're reopening late compared to some of the other countries. It's going to slow down their economy. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nevertheless, guys thank you very much for your reports today have a safe rest of the night Uh, we'll see you guys again thank you thank you 
You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.